This is Cinema Degeneration. If I may put forward a slice of personal philosophy, I feel that man has ruled this world as a stumbling, demented child king long enough. And as his empire crumbles, my precious black widow shall rise as his most fitting successor. I'm Frederick Lawrence. I've rented the house on Haunted Hill tonight so that my wife can give a party. A haunted house party. She's so amusing. There'll be food and drink and ghosts. And perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. Can you look around this world and believe in the goodness of a god who rules it? Famine, pestilence, war, disease, and death. They rule this world. The mark of Satan is upon them. They must hang. And now for you, Bartholomew, my beloved brother, while you are still alive, my ultimate device of torture. Now he must die. The Dr. Death that we created, he must die. I am not afraid. There is always room for more in the coffin of time. The instinct is alive within me. And you, Dr. Death, are you afraid? No. No, you're going home. Come. Nine killed you. Nine shall die. Nine eternities in doom. The tingler has been paralyzed by your screaming. There is no more danger. We will now resume the showing of the movie. The last man on earth fights the terrifying living dead. Get away from her! Vincent Price against zombie killers, the last man on earth. Alrighty, folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration's Appreciation Month. This is the first episode we're doing of a whole new Appreciation Month here for the month of January of the foul year of our Lord, 2022. <laughs> and But we are covering uh, a mainstay in the horror sci-fi genres, uh, an amazing man, an amazing uh, actor, philanthropist, and artist and cook so you know no wonder why i like him but we are covering the films of one the only vincent price and my first guest uh for this month of festivities is my good friend tim osaban how we doing i'm doing good i know i know why you picked me for the vincent price because we are both st louis natives i didn't even consider that when yes. we did that Vincent Price and myself are both from the same. Can you tell by our stagey accents? Yes, yes. <laughs> Interchangeable. Didn't you uh, uh, do the voiceover for Thriller? Or was I'm pretty sure I might have. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I didn't even uh, think of that, though, that you were both all from uh, St. Louis. I didn't even uh, consider that Yeah, you that know, it's one. funny. Yeah, there's um, uh, down in U-City, they call it the, the Loop in St. Louis. It's a it's it's a cool cultural area if if you or or people listening haven't been to St. Louis, uh, a lot of like music venues and stuff around there. And there's the the Tivoli Theater, 
And that's where they used to show uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show on midnights and Saturdays. And there is a, on the sidewalk, we have stars, like a walk of fame. And Vincent Price is one of the stars on the sidewalk there, too. And I remember that's, that's how I knew that Vincent Price was from St. Louis, because when I was like 17 or 18, getting in all kinds of trouble in the city, uh, always saw that star. So, yep. But yeah, I remember where I was uh, the moment I first heard of Vincent Price. I was with, with my grandparents and we were watching The Fly. Mm. It was on an old Spangoolie. Um, we were living in a, a camper, an RV, as my grandparents' house was being rebuilt due to a fire and flood. Mm-hmm. And uh, I watched The Fly first. Mm. You know, so that, that I, I, I was I was hooked from the beginning. I was man- interesting that he's known for The Fly, and yet He's, I don't want to call him a second. Well, he's sort of a secondary character. Like, he's not one of the main. Yeah, no, he's, he's not, not the fly, you know, basically is what I'm saying, you know. So it's it's it was always interesting to me. Uh, but it that was, I guess, a little early in his horror career, too. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, d- during the years in 58 through 59, you know, when he. That's true. When he did, right. you know, like the, that he did. House of Haunted Hill, yeah, Hill yep, The Tingler, right. you know. I guess the House of Wax came out a couple of years before that. Yes, yeah, yeah. I keep, I, you know, I, The Fly to me seems like an earlier film than it is. So even after after I said that, I'm like, well, you know, no, that did come out in the late 50s, didn't it? And I was thinking it came out in the earlier 50s, you know. But I, it couldn't have been earlier than 55 because it was widescreen, so. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I mean, let's face it, he had a career that spanned at least 30 years where he was the man. The oh, 50s, the yeah. 60s, and 70s. I mean, you got all the, the Poe adaptations of the 60s, and then you got, you know, Dominable Dr. Fives, Theater of Blood. I mean, in the 70s, my my personal favorite, Madhouse, which hopefully we'll get a chance to cover here this month. But that brings us to the movie we're going to be covering uh, first and foremost in the first release. We are doing The Last Man on Earth from 1964. Mm-hmm. And it's... You know, it, it had a troubled production. I, I know I know that for a fact. It started out as a hammer horror film. It was mm-hmm. going to be directed by Fritz Lang, and that kind of fell apart, which I would have loved to have seen like, yeah, that yeah. version of it. That would have been yeah, a, an amazing version. But I'm, I'm, I don't know about you. We'll get into when we get into the, the heart of the review and mm-hmm. the dissection, but I'm happy with what we got. Mm-hmm. You know, but I always think of my uh, as a filmmaker myself. I always think of, ooh, what if? Like, what if right. Hammer had got their claws into that and, and held on to it? You know, but I, I think I think the Fritz Lang angle is the one that mostly is a little painful. But at the same time, this without Fritz Lang doing this, it causes this to be much more of an obvious Italian film, which I do appreciate. Yeah, yeah, I I hadn't remembered that it was a predominantly Italian-made film. I probably haven't watched this for five or six years, you know, and I watch it every you know several years or so. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I hadn't remembered that it was like I said, a, such a predominantly you know uh, an Italian film at the time. But yeah, I mean, uh, Vincent Price was the only English-speaking actor, the only one who they recorded, you know. Mm-hmm. English dialogue with right, else right. Was dubbed. and I think having to deal 
with that probably was uh, an extra strain on an already troubled production. <laughs> right. But at right. the same, same time, it gave it a more ethereal quality, an otherworldly kind of quality that came with a lot of the the, the more famous kind of Italian-made horror films of later years, you know, Fulci and Argento, that would get, you know, have a more predominantly Italian cast, but have them, you know, dubbed over in English. Those mm-hmm. dubbings always kind of made it, just made the films feel more otherworldly, more nightmarish. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, it ranged from from that to awkward and funny to everything else. I This one, though, is, <laughs> that, is dubbed very, very well. Um, it's voiceover very well. And the other thing, too, it feels like a Mario Bava movie. It feels like there, the, the the decades to me of the Italian horror films. I mean, this is more like the '60s where Mario Bava like ruled the roost. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the '70s, you got more of the Giallo and some of the more very rough movies and and the zombie films and things like that. Into the '80s, of course, that were doing that. But in the '60s, to me, and some of these black and white films and even the old color films. The Italians were making something their own, like something very lush um, and frightening. There, there's some shots in this movie that you could attest almost any time. They're just really, really well done little scare moments and frightening and kind of creepy moments, you know, and, oh. and things like that. And Bava was so great at the little creepy moments, like the little zoom in on a face that does not look right. <laughs> right. It's just disconcerting, you know, and thing. It's not like a Hitchcock thing where you're on the edge of your seat all the time. It's these jarring, like, Ugh, the hell was that? Yeah, you like, know? what the hell um, are you going for there? Yeah, and I think they're pushing the envelope a little bit for the era that they're shooting in. Um, Speaking of haunting shots, the opening is haunting. Mm-hmm. Just that that kind of montage of the empty city streets. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I read a review of this as I was kind of diving into some. Uh, articles on it you know they said this laid the the blueprints for what would end up becoming night of the living dead and i think that mm-hmm. kind of shows especially in some of those opening shots whereas this everything is just so desolate it was one of the, some of the first times that we would a- actually see something that would appear for lack of a better term post-apocalyptic right oh absolutely i mean absolutely i mean i mean well everyone every horror fan has heard romero blatantly say i ripped off richard mathison's i am legend and right <laughs> and you, you, are you kidding me are you telling me that and here's the thing too that uh, i have not read i am legend and i will probably not well maybe i will but i i i'm not saying i ever will read i am legend because there are words to read and i don't read very well i don't <laughs> i don't i just i'm not a big reader okay so i'm not ever going to promise i'm going to read it but i do like to find out differences between the source material and the film i'm watching and one of the differences is how the vampires in the story, they are acting more like Romero's shambling undead um, that were in Night of the Living Dead. And in the original story, they were, they were real agile, like in, the, in, like in the Will Smith I Am Legend film. And yeah. what I find fascinating is that you have Romero saying, Oh, I totally rip, ripped off Richard Matheson. Well, I, yeah. I don't know if I've ever heard him say this, but I'd go a step further and say he probably saw Last Man on Earth as well because it's very, very, the setup is very similar. You know, I mean, you're in a house boarded up. They're coming through the windows, you know. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's taking them right. places to yeah, burn there's them. Yeah, uh, there's some, uh, some deep similarities there. There is. They're, 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 I, I'm not criticizing because Romero was very upfront very forthright about it oh yeah fair enough yeah 
Yeah, um, exactly. And I also don't have much of a problem too. I've always said this. Um, I don't like remakes. I don't like reboots. I don't like this and that. But I'm okay with a story that was written for the page that keeps getting mm -hmm. interpreted on film in different ways. I don't want to see the book rewritten, but I don't mind seeing a, like the thing. I like the Howard right. Hawks version. I like the John Carpenter version. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't doesn't bother me whatsoever. It's based on a book. It's kind of like Mega I guess Man. comparing this, you know, to uh, Mega Man. Yeah, you know, which I don't, mm -hmm. which I don't mind as a, as an adaptation to the book. I did read the book back in the day when I was probably 13, 14 years old, and I will admit uh, to reading it, but I would also admit to not remembering a whole lot about it. I, the I Am Legend book. Yeah, the I Am read? Legend okay. book, the mm -hmm. actual book. Mm -hmm. I remember reading it in junior high, and. I, I couldn't tell you much about it. I think my mm -hmm. my brain has been on overload, on sensory overload over the years with how many books and how many movies I've I've read, especially the ones I read in my preteens. Right. So right. I don't remember how uh, closely it, it adhered to the source material. I think this one probably got it a little closer than Omega Man and a whole lot closer than um, I Am Legend. I won't even dive into that movie i'm not a fan of i am legend at all yeah according to richard matheson he always said i don't i don't like any of them but last man on earth was the best yeah and he didn't even like he didn't really even like this version he no, had he his didn't. name he, uh, he had his name take his name on yeah yeah, yeah he was credited as logan yeah. swanson i had a note here about that i'm like it was funny that i i, I did read that <laughs> that he thought this was the best adaptation but he pretty much disavowed all three of them <laughs> right right one of these days damn it i want to be I want to be credited as Logan Swanson myself. I would, considered it an, I would consider it an honor to be, to be honest. Logan Swanson, if that is your real name. you know, <laughs> Right, right. There, like, oh. that's not even a real name. Not even close to a real name. You no, know, but there's nobody on earth named Logan Swanson. Right, right. right. Um, well, but yeah, no, get... I agree. The, the thing with Omega Man, that it, it's almost like the, the, the different variations of the story they take a good piece of it and kind of hone in on that and find a way to screw the other parts up it seems like sometimes where i don't last man on earth i don't think does that which i well, this is my very favorite version of this story and i i have to admit to you including night living dead i like this more um and i love night <laughs> living dead don't get me wrong or something i just i like this more. i don't know why i just i i do um but Omega Man to me, what I always thought was really cool was the sophistication, how he, I guess, barricaded himself into his place, how he fortified his place. I, I always thought that was kind of cool how he did that, um, which, you know, in this movie in Last Man on Earth, he's basically just boarding up his doors and his windows. It um, feels a bit more realistic than Omega Man. Omega Man feels a little bit more sci-fi-ish. I get you know, that. And yeah, this I feels like that. this is what a, a, a normal man, you know, would be able to do to barricade himself inside his home that doesn't have, you know, the quote unquote, quote unquote the Liam Neeson's particular set of skills, so to speak. Right. You know? Yes. Yeah. Understood. Yeah. Um, I also found it a little fat and this is I'm getting a little off subject, but I find it a little fascinating how the film 28 Days Later, the Brendan Gleeson character in that movie, to me, it almost felt like the 28 days later movie met up with last with Omega man for a couple minutes and got yeah. to a fortified place, almost fortified in the same way 
<laughs> and then left again. You know, it, it was it was almost like, oh, we're going to move into Last Man on Earth or, you know, I Am Legend territory and then float right back out of it. So there's little things like that that I see. I see connections um, with the apocalyptic story. I mean, let's face it. It's a it's a it's the fear of the whole fear of sickness, which the world's been going through the last couple of years, you know, and stuff. And this is that on steroids. Oh, you yeah. Know, basically, the whole story it plays in a common fear we all have. It, we, were, we were watching this. We were watching this last night, Patty and I, and mm-hmm. a couple of times during that that view. And it's like, ooh, this seems to be right on point with a, a few things going on today, doesn't it? I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it mm-hmm. sure does. Sure does. Right, right. I, I, I think I, I well, and one thing is, let's let's all be really I mean, I I don't want to say something to hurt someone's feelings who has had a rough time with this, but I'm saying let's at least be glad on a macro level, on a global level, that it wasn't that virus. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just think of it this way in terms of things that it could always be worse. Yes. Yeah, you, yes, you could be exactly. fighting off uh, zombies slash vampires at your door, you know, on a on a nightly basis, but you know, it could always be worse. Right. This movie could put things into perspective. Maybe some of us need it. I don't know. I have no yeah. idea. But I'm saying it's a, it is a good story to think about going, wait a minute. <laughs> it could be a hell of a lot worse. You're right. Yeah. It's like, yeah. But, uh, it could, uh, you know, and, and sometimes you don't want to think about how worse it could get. But, you know. Well, you there realize, it is. So, yeah, there. there it is. Right out in the open. <laughs> yeah. In yeah, black and white that. and color. Right. Right. Um, now, I'll admit to watching this movie twice for this review because I have it on DVD. Mm-hmm. And I, I watched it streaming too, as 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 well. On because I mean, for folks out there that haven't seen it, if, if you're listening to this podcast, I would suggest you pause it because we're done already, been ruining and some stuff, and we're hardly tapped into the the source material. Uh, It's everywhere. It's on Tubi. It's on Voodoo. It's on Prime. It's on you name it. It's streaming just about everywhere. It's public, it's public domain. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty right. sure it's public domain. If it's not, whoever whoever's a licensor is a free willy. He's a free willing guy or, yeah. or and, lady. And, you and know? even <laughs> even if you you can't stream it somewhere, if you don't stream, you can find it on DVD. Pretty sure. cheap. Pretty cheap. Yeah. Yeah. It's on the uh, the Vincent Price. Uh, it's on one of the Shout Factory when the the collections too. I forgive me. I think it's the first one. I think yeah, it's the it's first Vincent one Price collection. Yeah, that's where I watched it from. But so, I watched yeah. both versions. I watched it in color and in black and white. Just oh yeah, because it's giggles. streaming in color, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, interesting. I, I admit I like it better in black and white. Mm-hmm. I'm an old school kind of guy. I like it better in black and white. I think it it just works better. I mean, the colorized version is not a bad colorization. Some of those look really bad when they colorize yeah. some of that shit. But, whew. but yeah, we won't get into that. We won't get into that. But that, I mean, the colorization <laughs> version is good for those of you who can't stand the black and white uh-huh. versions and stuff. But yeah, I would suggest a black and white. Before we get yeah. into things too, too deep, I almost skipped over. Well, I did skip over, but we'll find a way to re-edit this. <laughs> I want to give the quick IMDb synopsis for those. Of, oh yeah, those of the fans at home that have not seen this movie, and uh, for those of you that have, 
But uh, Last Man on Earth, 1964, is as follows. <clears throat> when a disease turns all of humanity into a living dead, the last man on Earth becomes a reluctant vampire hunter. And that's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't tell you too much, but it tells you everything you need to know going in. Mm-hmm. Lots of times I feel like these IMDb synopsis miss the mark, but this one's pretty straightforward. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, on both those. And, and they're, they're really not like, I mean, they are vampires. They have an aversion to garlic. They don't like mirrors. They can't come out during the daylight. But they're more zombie-ish than, mm-hmm. than your atypical vampires. They, ha- they have more in relation to the George Romero, again, Night of the Living Dead zombies than, say, a Hammer's ho- Hammer horror film, you know, Dracula, on right. every level. Well, you know, it's interesting because Romero called his creatures the undead because zombies were voodoo things. Right. When you look, but I think he sort of just backed off that really quickly and said, well, whatever, zombies. And, and technically, they're not voodoo zombies, but they kind of act like what zombies, real zombies, real voodoo zombies. Uh, the stereotype, at least, is they're sort of brain dead uh, slaves to someone else's will, uh, you know, basically and stuff. And so the, the movement and the lethargic pace at which they do things lends itself to the old stereotypical zombie thing. So I just want to say that because I'm the guy who like would ground my kid for calling the Frankenstein monster Frankenstein. If you don't believe me, ask him. He'll say, yeah, I'd get grounded for that. Because <laughs> right. I'm like, it's not right. It's not, I want truth. It's not correct. This is who this is, whatever. So I just want to get that out of the way for a minute because I, there's a part of me that says when we're talking about zombies, I always want to clarify the fact that I realize these aren't classic zombies. These are undead. And what I find fascinating is that it's really closer Romero zombies are closer to a vampire than they are to a voodoo zombie um in in the fact that they eat not drink uh, but they also transform into if if a voodoo zombie bites you you're gonna go ow knock it off but you're not gonna turn into into another one you have to get the blowfish to blow in your face or whatever they do to make you a zombie. Thank God I've never been turned into a zombie that I know of. Yeah, um, ne- never have I been aware of. I have watched <laughs> The Serpent in the Rainbow, and that's about <laughs> as close as I can get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. So, but uh, I do find it fascinating how, yeah, I mean, they are, they're definitely more, more zombie. And it makes it more realistic, you know, yeah, in a way, too. Yeah, because they're not like elegant creature type, you know, as almost says obvious, elegant creature type vampires that right. swoop in and romance you and bite you on the neck and, you know, suck your blood. No, no. thank God I hate those. But yeah, right. Exactly. I, I, don't, I don't mind them, but it's just a nice change. It's, a, mm-hmm. you know, and considering the age of the material, it's, it's, it's funny that, <laughs> that a nice change came from 1964. Oh, right. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I totally agreed. I think part of it was just trying to trying to make it seem more realistic, you know, to have these these people still have their tattered clothes on and things like that. Um, it's super interesting. I mean, it's really I, the first time I'd seen this movie, I'd never heard of it. I don't even remember. I, I might have seen it on, I don't know, Turner Classic Movies or something like that. I can't remember. I was trying to remember the first time I'd seen it. And I wasn't like a real little kid or anything. So I was um, in my my teens or my preteens, but I can't remember the exact 
time I watched it. It was yeah, at that point either. where I was renting everything under the sun, you know, and mm-hmm. maybe maybe caught it on late night cable at some point, but likely I probably rented it, I'm I, sure. Yeah, I think I either happened upon it. There was a I don't know if it was good time video, like one of the you know, one of the cheap videos you could actually like afford the brands way back in the day that was all public domain stuff. Usually you'd find like an Maybe a copy of Alice, Sweet Alice, and like Night Living Dead, Nosferatu, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, find stuff find like, like White Zombie and things like yes. that. Yeah, exactly. And there was a DVD that came out, and it was a double feature. It was a Vincent Price double feature of House on Haunted Hill. And it was then this movie was like the B feature on the DVD. That could have been the first time I'd seen it. But my recollection tells me that I bought the DVD because I didn't have... Uh, Last Man on Earth and really wanted it. All I know is that Last Man on Earth was one of those films that surprised me in every way. With the writing, the filming, the the the, the makeup even. Um, and Vincent Price, who is not Vincent Price in this movie. This is not Vincent Price running around chewing up all the scenery with teeth marks on the wall and stuff. He, he no, this is, is probably one of the least pricey moments in his career you know of, of his yes. his budding you know a horror career where he wasn't you know didn't do his usual price type stuff like no. chewing up the scenery and hamming it up a little bit right right totally but, that's and it's yeah. you know it's no easy feat you know i, I know from experience of, of that it's no easy feat to be a main character in a movie where you're pretty much the sole lead Mm-hmm. You know, for a good two thirds of the movie, mm-hmm. and and you have to be the narrator and tell everybody what's going on to be able to command a screen when you're the only person on it. You're not mm-hmm. uh, interacting with anybody. That's not an easy feat, and no. he pulls it off. I, I don't know how hard it was for him, but it seemed like he he made it pretty fucking easy. It, it, he, he just, I don't think really at that time in the 1964 that anybody besides Price could have pulled this off. Well, right. It's hard. It's kind of hard to tell because, like, I know in, I think it was, all right, now I'm going to go off memory here. So I, I'm pretty sure it was Witchfinder General. I'm pretty sure it was Witchfinder General where the, he was, he was told, stop being Vincent Price in it. And what's driving me nuts is I can't, it's on the tip of my tongue and I can't think of the director's name. I know he was a young guy, this and that, but I know that, that he was he he was playing okay he was playing Matthew Hopkins who I believe was a real character in history Michael Reeves that's it Michael Reeves was a was the uh, uh, director okay okay and I think he died really young too he died of like an OD or something but he did like only a few movies he did She Beast and I think The Sorcerers but anyway he was a young young upstart okay. So he's making Witchfinder General. Some it's also called Conqueror Worm, you know, in some circles or whatever. But um, and he's playing this Matthew Hopkins character who was a, a real guy. And so he was being Vincent Price. And Michael Reeves literally told him, from what I recall, stop being Vincent Price. And Vincent <laughs> Price got offended. He was mad. He's like, who is this little shit telling me? My business, blah, 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 this and that. Well, they did not get along at all. And Michael Reeves finally said, I'm the director, you're the actor. And to his credit, Vincent Price agreed with that 
on a technical level. And you could tell if you watch Witchfinder General, Vincent Price walks around in a shitty-ass mood the whole movie. And he's really <laughs> in a bad mood. But he's underplaying it. And Vincent Price later on would say, I was wrong. That's my best performance, probably. And I think that, I don't know if it was because this movie was being, it was Italian, and there was a some sort of language barrier. I'm not sure, but this film, he is underplaying it. And there's a lot of pathos in this, this performance that you don't see a lot with Vincent Price. And it stands out. It really stands out. And on one hand, I want to say this movie is sorely underrated and underseen. But I don't. I also think that it has picked up steam over the years. Yeah, it's, and I think it's become, kind of a cult, cult following yes. of sorts over the recent years. Well deserved. Well, I think well deserved because Vincent Price plays something that he doesn't play often in his movies. Here, he plays a victim. Mm-hmm. He, he is like the the hero. He's the you know the main uh, the main character, the hero of the movie, so to speak. Right. But at the same time, he is, is very much a victim and victimized by the vampires, the, the undead ghouls, mm-hmm. and, you know, and his good buddy, Ben Cortman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the points in the movie when they're outside his house and they're just saying the same things over again, you know, Morgan. Right, right. Come out. Right. You know, when I was watching this with Patty, she had said, you know, because this was a first time watch for her. She's like, you know, how many years is he supposed to be living with this day after day? I'm like three. She's like, he's holding up pretty well. Like, because most people (laughs) would be damn insane by this point. Right. Not to say that this character isn't a little bit insane because he's. You know, God, just when he finds the the little puppy dog alone, you'd see how desperate he was just for any kind of companionship. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Right, right. But that's also kind of a scary little tidbit, too, like, in that story where, like, you don't even think about the animals, right? Like, you're just thinking about people, and then all of a sudden you see a dog, and then it opens up a whole new world of questions, like, oh, wow, the virus, like, did it jump to animals, too, and stuff? You know, like, the, the disease, whatever it was, you know, like, did it jump? And... Clearly, yes. I mean, on some yeah. level, clearly it could or what, whatnot. And yeah, yeah, that's that's tough too because it's not that I'm one of those people that's like the dog can't die, kill all the people, but just not the dog. I'm not one of those people. But I sometimes when you have a story like this and you almost forget there is even animals on the planet, you, know, you don't see a bird in this movie that I can recall. You know, no, but then I don't you see, see anything. Right. Then you see an animal. And if the animals are all getting killed by it, just like the just like the people, it might as well be an asteroid. There's yeah. no hope. I mean, you know, there, it might as well be an asteroid. That's that gets to you on a on a real visceral level. You know, it's kind of almost like a <laughs> I'm making a weird segue here, like the lonesome death of Jody Verrill. When that mm-hmm. meteor hits, that, that's a virus in and of itself that just or a growth that it's indiscriminate. It's going to take you mm-hmm. out, whether you're a human, you're, you're a dog or a cat, or right. a fish, it's going to take over everything. Right. Right. And that's, 
we will never be able to wrap our heads around that. Look what's happening right now. It doesn't care. And it's just rolling through everything. And then again, jumping, not just any living creature, you know, like that again is there's, where's the hope in that? You know, where's the, <laughs> there, there is, where's the, where's the light yeah. at the end of the tunnel? Because there yes. is none. Right. Right. And it puts a sense of dread over the whole story that is just, it's a weight on your shoulders. And a lot of times I don't, it depresses me, you know, but I don't know, maybe I give this one a pass because it was a very original concept, you know, kind of when it came out. So it wasn't something that had been overdone. I mean, got to think in terms of when this came out in 1964, it's not the same as something that was made in, you know, 2018 (laughs) or or even newer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what Richard Matheson, when he wrote it, you know, I mean, I don't think he was thinking anything. I just think he said, wouldn't it be, he just thought, wouldn't it be horrible if, if this happened? And of course, you know, when he wrote this, I mean, couldn't have been a hotter part of the Cold War. And just the thought of all humanity going under, you know, is, was, you know, it's, it's always a, a scary proposition, but especially then it was right in your face, you know, and so. And especially you know. now at the same mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. it's it's uh yeah it's 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 very uh poignant of a movie from 1964 to 2021 it's just like you know there's just a lot of correlation there to i'll just leave it to say to the recent events and leave it at that yeah yeah it's 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 pressing on our on our our, our hot humanity <laughs> our humanity yeah it's i mean it's pressing on our visceral like insides and stuff you know it's not like we're watching a movie where it's a big argument between sheep herders and cattle ranchers where we, we're having a real hard time identifying that story is going to be relevant forever that yeah. is the brilliance of it it's going to be relevant forever 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 it's not trying to say anything it's showing you something and that and and it's showing you something that none of us want yeah, something that we would probably rather not see, but absolutely no. I don't want to know. That's why it's so heartbreaking when he does find the dog. You see the yes. desperation in his face, the desperation in his voice is very palpable. Yeah, uh, and especially when he has to put said dog down, you know, later on, it's like, and and I, I'm the opposite of you. I'm the type of person I I will say, yeah, kill all the people and leave the animals <laughs> alone because I, I just I just don't dig on animal cruelty. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> not I don't saying, not saying, I don't, that, not yeah. saying that you do. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I didn't mean it that way. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I, saying, I would just rather know. kick a dog than a pregnant woman. <laughs> Sorry, I mean I, I mean yeah, I mean I'd rather not kick either one. Right. Yeah. You know, I'd rather so, not but, be but, put put into the position to have to kick it you know, anything correct. really. Right, 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 right. Correct. You know, but, so you I, know, I, just I, yeah. uh, animal cruelty's sake for animal cruelty's sake. It, it always feels just like it, the sake for being mean to an animal on film. It always fe- seems very superfluous and just doesn't need to be there. Yeah. But there's like, the, but this yeah, movie, the, you know, he yeah. has to put the dog down. Thankfully they do it off camera. Mm-hmm. So I, I dig it. I, I dig how they, they did it. They it didn't need to be, you know, vicious or anything but at no. the same time you feel how sad he is when he's burying it before he runs into ruth or i should say R- ruth runs into him mm-hmm. but yeah i mean oh god this movie is was very dark for its time in 1964 very god just sad and bleak 
and, mm-hmm. and and gray, not not saying gray tones of the movie, but my God, well, I mean, there's no hope. There's absolutely no. no hope and no light at the end of the tunnel for his character or for humanity at all. It, it, well, it all when it ends, it all ends with him. Right, and then you have the what. What I think is that this this clearly was written by a master who Richard Matheson is, because it is sneaky, it, 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 it on you like it is disarming with the story that seems like you know exactly what the story is, and then you don't, and it takes a long time for him to see another living creature that isn't infected by. That. I mean, a long time in this film. And you get settled in where, okay, well, there is nobody. Oh, there's a dog. Well, then you have that for a little while. And you keep getting further and further into the story. And then you realize there's a whole lot of other stuff going on you didn't know about because Vincent Price didn't know about other things going on around him, too. So you go from this guy is trying to hide and trying to survive. Then you start realizing, wait a minute, well, he's he's... He's taking his, he's spending his days trying to find them and kill them one by one almost. I guess he's trying to find like pockets of them, you know, or where, where, where do they all stay and stuff, you know, and everything. Yeah. I mean, and essentially he, with the beginning, he's just, uh, he's just thinning the herd, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and as time goes, as, as the story keeps progressing, his role starts to upend, you know, who he is. Because of the virus, or because of this sickness that has that has occurred to everyone on the planet, apparently except for him, it's made him the outsider. So who's the monster? Right, and exactly. that to me is just that's disarming. That's well, the kind look, of sophistication I don't see a lot in 1964 Italian horror films, <laughs> or, or a horror film, or a story. I know it was a story, but even as a film, they could have. Bypass that, ah, you know. That's a little, that's a little thought provoking for a for a drive-in horror film, don't you think, Earl? Sure, let's yeah. just cut that part out. We don't need that, you know. It's, but it's all there. This is a very It's a sneaky thought provoking in a way. It really yeah, is without really having to beat beat you. It doesn't beat you over the head with it. No. It plays it off subtle because I mean, well, the movie. Well, to say this to preface this by saying this, the movie is. Uh, I don't mean this is uh, a negative towards the film, but it's oddly paced. Yes, because when it you know it, you get a great deal of time getting to know uh, uh, Morgan's character. For, for God, for a long time, for good oh, God, what, yeah, 30, yeah, yeah. 30 minutes yeah. or whatnot. Then it dives into what I the, the flashback, which it pretty much takes up the entire second act. Right. The, the, right, the whole right. The next 25 to 30 minutes of the movie. You know, it, it's very oddly paced, but I like it. Like you, you you get to know him, you get to know what is going on with him, and then you kind of get to know more about what happened versus what right. you get to know him and how he's dealing with this the aftermath of everything then it's just like okay well here's how we got from point a to point b we start off in this movie at point b right yes and and that that causes you to you think you know what's going to be like i do that 
There's one thing that I always appreciate in a film is when you think you know where things are going and you eventually just throw your arms up and go, I'm just going along with this son of a bitch. Because I don't <laughs> know, I don't know where the hell's going anymore. This like, isn't I, quite I thought that. I I thought I knew, but I didn't know. Right. Shit. <laughs> right. Uh, lots of examples of that. You know, like Odyssey type of films. You know, this is an Odyssey type of story, but it's it's an Odyssey because of, as you're describing, how the narrative is set up. So it it causes that. You're off balance. And what is coming next? What am I going to see? Am I going to see the future next, the past? What is it? And it keeps you off balance enough to hold your attention. Because that's what the failure of a lot of films, including B-movies like this, is if they don't hold your attention, if they get boring, yeah, exactly. they lose. I, I, go, this, I always call that the, the greatest sin that any movie can commit. It can commit yes. a lot of sins. It can be cheesy. It can have bad sound, maybe some bad acting or some bad effects. But if you bore me, that that's the cardinal sin. I'm done Absolutely. with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this keeps you engaged by keeping you off your balance. And it's, it allows that slow pace. This is a slow movie. But it never, I mean, but, it, I mean, it is a slow paced movie, but it never feels boring. Because you're off balance and that's generating suspense. Mm -hmm. And that, that is where this film to me is brilliant. And, and it's, it, it does. It feels like something much more than what it ended up being. Because I know the movie didn't do very well and stuff. But and and it is completely explanatory as to why this movie has picked up steam. I mean, geez, how, how it was it? Sixty years later. Yeah, I mean, uh, damn near sixty years later. I think it's about what fifty-seven, fifty-eight years yeah. old now. So. It's you watch it, and if you haven't seen it, like I think you said, Patty, it was her first watch. I bet it was pretty interesting. I bet it was the the story probably grabbed her a little bit. And, oh yeah, she was and, trying to do work from from home. She was working on her laptop, work doing stuff, and <laughs> she was just like, "Damn you for picking this one!" Because she mm -hmm. kept watching it, not getting any work done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a serious movie. It's a serious story. Yeah, she I mean, she was I think thrown off by again Price's performance. It's yeah, just so understated for what we're used to from Price. That's why I think this one stands out. Now I like when <clears throat> I like when Price does what he does best when he mm -hmm. plays it up a little hammy. You know mm -hmm. when he when he's chewing up that scenery. But I also love when when you got movies like this that are just so off. Far off the beaten path of what we're totally, what we totally expect from him. Well, yes, and I'm a fan of Price's like gothic work, the the stuff before the the a lot a lot of the horror stuff. Like Laura is yeah. such a good movie, and so, and he is this quiet, understated, you know type of character in it um and god they were so good dragon wick that was another one that was really good god that's that he one i in. have not watched in years well it's another gene tyranny you know that's laura as well but i mean you know and those are that was price when he was really really young you know, and stuff too, but it's cool to see that, you know, it's cool to see those and then to see him get to have fun in some of those older, because you know, he's having fun. 
I mean, as you were you were describing him, he's a he's a he's a total like he's a society guy. You know, like he likes fine wine and good food and everything, you know, and he was uh, artwork and museums. Yeah, he was all culture. He was all, you know, um, I highly doubt he watched many of the movies he was in, you know, but he had fun. You could tell he was having so much fun in those films. But then if you really want to see, go back to this stuff pre-1950, you know, when he was doing stuff with the studios and more and. God, it was some great performances back then. And great movies, too. Great movies. Uh, if, if nothing else, check out Laura and Dragonwick. If people listening have heard of those, uh, maybe haven't seen them, they are all available. I can't watch. tell you the last time I've seen Laura. It's been some a couple of decades, I'm sure. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I know it's one that I don't own. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's, a, it's great. You know? so, so he can do it. You know, but but it didn't it didn't happen that often post fifties or post forties, you know, really. And and Last Man on Earth is a reminder. This guy, he was a professional, you know, and and he knew he knew what he was doing. And but I, I'm curious how he was he was directed in this too. Well, like you, you know? said, you know, there might have been part of it. Might have been a bit of, uh, you know, what I mean of. Uh, uh, the the language barrier between the Italian mm-hmm. production and, and him. Absolutely. So that yeah. maybe he was allowed to kind of like run free and do what he wanted, but whatever it was, it, it worked. It, it worked. There's yeah. some scenes there, you know, when he's going through that first on the, I call it on the hunt scene where mm-hmm. he's just going through the montage of finding people and slowly systematically he's got the map of the city and he's just xing out bit by bit and so you see what he's been doing for three years is just so systematic and mm-hmm. so he's very regular in what he does he gets mm-hmm. up he changes out the garlic he changes out the mirror they bust he reinforces his barricades then he goes out and he starts finding finding the undead and he starts killing them and burning them in the in the pit and the first note real like side note i had here is how badly that must have smelled no wonder he was wearing <laughs> He put on the gas mask when he yeah. gets there, because yeah. like how bad that must have smelled. Three years worth of decaying bodies burning in gasoline fires. Whoa, yeah, like yeah. Then, well, you know, it's not done very graphic again because this was 1964. If it was done today, it'd be a hell of a lot more graphic. But damn, like how how horrible. <laughs> That's what my first thought goes to. How horrible. Well, how that horrible must have the smelled. streets would have smelled like too before you burned them. Oh, God. With all the with all the bodies laying around too, you know. Uh, when he wakes up every morning, and there's this, you know, there's the couple of random bodies in here. And I do have a note. It said to add to the realism of the film, he insisted, Price insisted himself to use real people as the bodies yeah. that he carried around, and not mannequins or dummies. Yeah, I saw. I actually looked that up because when I was watching that scene, I'm like, those are real people. They're little people. They're short people, or the kids, or something. They're they're smaller people. But but they're definitely like those aren't dummies, you know. Those aren't mannequins or anything. Those are those are people with weight. And he's like, he's like he's well, you just tell the by the way they car. move, you know, the way and the way move. he moves, trying to get him in the car. You'd be doing the exact same thing too, you know. That's something too about this film that it really stands out to me. Price is a lot more physical in this movie. There's more running. He's picking things, you know, he's usually he's a stoic actor. Like, even if he's like going over the top, he's usually acting with his his googly eye looks, his eyebrows going up, you know, eyebrows, you know, and his words. He's not usually doing it through his 
to physicality. <laughs> exactly. You don't see him overpowering a lot of people in films. You don't see him like he's just and in this movie, you know, he's he's just running up and down some of the stairs, you know, and on those plazas and he's he's just doing things to me that are more physical. Even just the staking of the people that he's doing, lifting the people, throwing people into he's he's doing a lot more pantomime and physical acting in this film that I'm used to seeing him do. Of course, there's not much dialogue in, in it. Yeah, I'm going to say most for, of it is done with voiceover. Yes, and I'm not, you're not used to seeing Price do that kind of acting either. Um, I guess maybe Fibes. Fibes, he was all kind of yeah, voice speaking over mentally. It. Yeah, you know, but let's put... You can't say Fibes isn't hammy, so I got, you got to put that off the side. Yeah, it's not hammy, up. but it, it's similar in the fact that he he does he's not saying a lot with it. Can't say he's not saying a lot with words because there's a whole lot of voiceovery type stuff. But he's he's not using his mouth to project those words on screen. Right. I guess it's right. all done right. so style. The the voiceover narration has got a very, and I don't mean this in uh, in a negative way either, but it's got a very monotone kind of feel to it like mm -hmm. you can feel the dread and mm -hmm. this like how tired he is this very blade runnerish like harrison ford and blade runner is decker this is mm -hmm. somebody who's very were world weary and just tired that can be because mm -hmm. you feel like this is a guy that price's character is a guy that has been doing this for three years that has been living in this sad state of, of the world for three years and like especially like the only time he really gets excited is when is when he sees the the dog, mm -hmm. or or when he wakes up in the mortuary when he's you know visits his uh, wife's coffin and he realizes he's overslept. That's about the only time he gets super excited because he's like, oh shit, this, right. now, I'm in trouble. Right, that I, always happens. These stories too, it drives me nuts. I would never allow myself to have that happen. I mean, I would just, I don't know, maybe I. It's it's a one mistake. It only takes one mistake. I know. I understand. You get used to being in that world, and you get careless. I get it. But still, I'm like, oh, it's so easy. It's like, it's like, it's like when they're, it's like in a movie where people are after vampires and they want to stake them while they're in their coffin. It's like, you, you ever think about starting that journey at six in the morning instead of six in the evening when the sun's going down? How right, about you the, go stake them when the sun is coming up? <laughs> they always beat them at the vampire's den. At like, listen. It's 6 p.m. We need to stake him. It's going to be dark at 6.15. Wait till tomorrow, then. Like, <laughs> you thought of maybe just, like, hitting him up at noon? You know, right. Possibly. You got hours of daylight to, on your side. Exactly. Exactly. I always, it always, that always irritates me in these stories. But it's, it's sort of like the don't go in that room. That's clearly not a room to go into. The old horror movie thing. Don't do that. It's you idiot. You know, blah, blah. Well, this is the same kind of. But thing. if, if they didn't almost. do that, it would be a mu it'd be a much shorter story. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, know. it's a trope. It's, a, it's just, that's what makes it a trope. I understand. Yeah, it's true. You know, something to that part of that depression, you know, is the fact that it took out his family, of course, you know, and that's a hard part to watch. But I got to tell yeah, you during something. the flashback, it's it's so yeah. like when he comes back and his wife tells him, well, I called the doctor and you can before he even utters a word. You know, like you, you did what? Mm -hmm. You know, I told mm -hmm. you not to. Right, right. A part that I forget 
And that every time I watch it, I know this because I it, it startled me when I saw it again. Um, when he goes, and I personally think, I if I if I were making this film, I would have expanded this part for the sheer fright of it. When he goes to bury his wife, and she comes back. First of all, the makeup is tremendous. It's very subtle, but it remind that's that moment reminds me of Mario Bava a lot, a lot. That whole thing with her coming back and burying her, and the way she looks, and that he opens the door and it's like, oh, god, yeah, you know, woo, you know that. That is a little beyond its time. You know, that, that's a, that was a, that's a, there's like, that's one of those little shocking, startling moments in that film. But I, I would have kind of expanded that and made it into a little bit more of, say, like a monkey's paw kind of suspense thing. They did a good job of it. Don't get me wrong. But I think right, they right. Milked, but it would have been nice to see that extended just a, yeah, a little bit. They could have milked that suspense for, for a little bit more of a terror feel, a shock value or something. But, you know, hey, I, I mean, <laughs> 1964, they might have said, we can't let this go any longer. People are going to be passing out, you know, because what was scary to people back then, you know, we don't see it all the time now. You know, movies have become more, more you know, sophisticated. So people aren't exactly going to see the, the original Frankenstein and passing out and Carl up as a monster walks in the room like they did back then in the theaters. They passed out of fright. I don't think that's happening anymore. No, you know, like no. I don't think that. anybody passes out out of fright at a movie anymore. Mm-hmm. Any, anyways, and if they do, it takes a lot more than that. Yeah, yeah. Are you really sensitive and you're not used to seeing horror films, you know? Um, but I, I digress that that... Right. That, that, that scene is, is great. When he opens, opens the door and she's yes. just coming at him her mouth is agape and just the the way the the makeup is subtle but it works so well yeah 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 it, I, I mean that's what and i'm telling you it does remind me of the gothic type of baba stuff and everything that some of those moments do and i don't know it's just i kept thinking that the whole movie this looks like a mario baba movie yeah i felt uh, that too at vampires. times Planet yeah the vampires is baba and, and that's a much that's like a, a almost a silly version you know, of this, you know, I, you know, but, but you could see it, you know, you could see you like could the see impressions yeah. of planet, uh, the vampires or shock, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in their times. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's when I yeah. think about like an interview I read with, uh, Charlton Heston, you know, when I was looking up stuff, uh, for the Omega man, he said he wanted to make Omega man, everything this movie wasn't. Now I like Omega man. Don't get me wrong, but I love last man on earth. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Charlton Heston said it was poorly acted and poorly shot and poorly edited, you know, yeah, there might be some wonky stuff here, here and there at times. But what movie doesn't have something wonky in it at some point, but like, I can't help but wonder, like, did he watch the same movie that I did? Or maybe right. it's just the different mindset of the, the, the age difference or whatnot. Right. Or right. Morals and ideals and whatnot. But I, I, I can't help but like, what movie did he watch? Because I don't feel like he watched the same movie that I did. Right. And I'm not so sure that I don't think Heston was a horror fan anyway. I don't, I don't get that from him. You know, I no, think that, no, and I don't think I think he, I think he was, was a sci-fi fan because he did a lot, yeah, of sci-fi, but, but yeah. not, not so much horror. No, you know, I mean, I think the clo- to me, I'm, I'm again going on memory here, but the closest thing I can think of that he did to horror 
What besides Omega Man would maybe be, and this movie is completely forgotten, Motherload. I've uh, never seen Motherload. From uh, 81, 82. I'm writing um, that down. I'm, uh, I got to seek Kim it Basinger, out. Kim Basinger. Uh, Charlton Heston. Um, I think it's... Uh, who else is in that movie? Um, no question. Would you consider uh, Soylent Green a horror movie? No, it's science fiction. Okay, all right. Action, science, sci-fi action, just like Omega Man is more sci-fi. Is more sci-fi action. Uh, Motherlode with plays... like a dash of, with the dash of horror, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Like in Motherlode, like Heston plays. It, it, basically, he's a he's a crazy miner that's that's going for some gold that probably doesn't exist, and he plays two brothers. And one brother is like insane, and the other brother's not. And so the few people fly in and they try to they try to get the gold so it's kind of like a gold fever type of movie but it starts turning into a feral slasher feeling kind of thing damn i like gotta a, see this how have i never heard of this before <laughs> you know, it's, i gotta tell you something i remember watching that movie with danny hicks and i remember i remember me and him talking in depth about the film because it's got really good actors and i think john marley's in it some other people and stuff and there's a great moment where there's a plane that lands on a lake uh, of course it has you know the the I don't know anything about planes, but it's the plane that's designed to land on the lake, you know, with the big, big feet on it and stuff. Well, yeah, yeah. It, it flips over. I got to call them boat planes. I don't know what yeah. they call them either. Yeah. Well, it flips over. It flips over into the water. It was real. It was a mistake, and they kept it. <laughs> and that's, like, really memorable about that movie. But it's, it's frustrating. You want it to be a lot better. And the audio on it, like, it's hard. Like, he, he I think the, they're scottish or irish and heston is trying to do this like <laughs> he's trying to do this accent and it's hard to understand him and stuff the movie's frustrating but it's definitely worth checking out if you don't i think it's 1980 maybe but it's definitely worth checking out as a completist if you haven't seen it because it is a forgotten film it's i love the fact forgotten. that there's still movies out there like that that i haven't seen because I, I like to think of myself as a completist and i love uh, the 70s and 80s but the fact that there's still movies out there that i haven't quite mm -hmm. seen yet I, I i love the fact that they're still there i'm with you i'm i'm absolutely with you so anyway but real and but anyway yeah, yeah back, back to, back but, to but, vincent price yeah, <laughs> yes yeah so so of all the ver like heston i i did read also heston was kind of besmirched i mean you know whatever you know i mean he made a complete, he, he, what he got out of that story was completely different, you know, too. And you also got to remember too, Heston was like a major force in that film, like behind the scenes in front of the scenes, whereas Vincent Price was a professional actor. He was going to do his thing, you know, he, he, too. Was, going, and, he, he was hired to do a job and that's just what he was doing. You know? Right. Exactly. And, and I, I'm sorry, but you know, Charles, I mean, if you go back and watch Omega man, the main downfall are the quote, Creatures, they are like what well, like like wide eyed like I don't know man they they look like they look awful seventies let's <laughs> yeah that, it, it kind of looked like uh, I'm not in the same sense of like uh, Romero zombies and Dawn of the Dead but they're very dated like as much as much as I love Dawn of the Dead I consider it a classic and I love it but you know the blue green 
zombies or <laughs> they look like buck rogers villains let's just put it out there they right look, right they look, yeah. they look like, like anthony zerby and all those guys but <laughs> man geez come on man like oh and, so... I, and i love the movie don't get me wrong i'm not trying to pick on it but it's just like that that's no, what i think of each and every time well I'll let, you, I'll let you do it i'll let you pick yeah on. i'm picking on a little bit i mean i like the movie too but i'm allowed to pick on it because he picks on because heston picks on last man on earth and then you got will smith who I don't know what he was doing. I am legend. That's a that's another CG. movie that I watched once, and I just I never cared to watch it again. It just it just missed the mark so horribly bad. I mean, it's a well produced movie. It's not cheap. It's not cheap by any means, but it yeah, it's just it's not my bag. It's not my no, bag of tricks. And I I don't I just don't like the the hordes of CG. I I don't believe yeah. it. I see it. Yeah, don't the, believe it. Like, it was an era. Uh, it was at an, it's at an era when CG was not was was just not good. And they they used when they used CG to create as opposed to enhance. That's where I have a problem with it. CG has its purpose. Uh, to to me, it should be there to enhance practical effects. And yeah, I'll just I, leave it at that. Yeah, I think I and I I I feel like maybe you know it's 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 leveled out a little bit. Yeah, I mean it Agreed, can be done. Yeah. It, it can it can be it can be done on a certain level, but it's just like certain certain people can paint, uh, you know, can do paintings and whatnot. Some of them can make them look like a picture. Other ones can make them look like a work of art. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree, and I think that some of us, myself included, uh, can be a little overzealous and say something, not realizing, you know, there's people that work in this this CG field that are true artists that really know what they're doing. And they're very good. So it's a little bit of a blanket statement. So, I hate CG. Well, no, I don't. Yeah. But like you're saying, I just, I, want I just hate bad CG. Yes, I hate bad yeah. practical effects. Well, no, bad practical effects are kind of fun. They're kind of fun, you know. Bad <laughs> they're fun, CG. They're fun to fun. pick apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. They are. Bad CG is not fun. Bad practical is fun. You know, I, I, I mean, would, I would agree with right. you there. Yeah, yeah. As long as it's in the right context, you know. Yeah, you know what it's, isn't it's fun? fun. What mm -hmm. isn't fun? This movie. No, I love I love it, but it's not fun. It's not it. It's a good watch. It's a great yes. movie, but it's not. There's nothing about this movie that is happy. I, no. I guess I should say I, I shouldn't use the term fun because it's a, it's a, I love it. And, you know, and by loving it, I mean it, it's fun to watch it, but it's not fun to experience. No, <laughs> it's not. I, I know it's that not. sounds weird. It sounds weird, but uh, it just this movie is bleak man it's so yeah. fucking bleak and i think that's one of the reasons why i love it there's no hope i mean even at the very end when he when uh dr morgan finds out like in his dying moments that like he's the cure he's the cure mm -hmm. and he can cure everybody but there's they, they've done already shot him they've stabbed him with the spear and he is laying there dying in the church as he's talking to the girl Ruth and he's like, they were afraid of me. And he was essentially just like, I'm the bad guy. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like, he, he realized really, you know, and I guess it goes to prove the old saying in somebody else's story, you might be the bad guy. That's, that's what I was saying. How he, he actually was the monster. He was the one going around killing all of these, what he thought was creatures. And some of these people were trying to figure out how to like stave off, 
And he didn't know right. that. He didn't know anybody was around. He he had isolated himself, so he didn't know what was going on. And he was trying. Give him credit. He had a, a radio, but not everybody has a radio to communicate with people with. So he didn't not know. everybody is listening to that radio at the exact moment that you're broadcasting. Just because you're broadcasting right. From- Six o'clock to six o five in the afternoon doesn't mean that uh, somebody is listening at that time. That's why I always find it funny, especially like in, in a lot of post-apocalyptic zombie movies. Or like, you know, like for instance, like in The Walking Dead. Like, here, hold the CB. I'll broadcast every day at exactly noon. And it's like, really, you're gonna like, you're gonna know exactly when I'm gonna broadcast for thirty seconds is gonna be. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. And, and, and it's like, he, he was, he was basically, okay. What I find clever about the writing around, and, 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 you know, yes, credit Richard Matheson, but I'm going to credit the filmmakers here too. You know, that, that they actually kept this, that the, the swerve is on the viewer. You realize that you just, you just identified with the villain in the entire movie. Not like, like to your, point that you just made a minute ago you didn't even know who the villain you thought you didn't know that he was the villain and the right. reason they're trying to get at him is because he's killing all he is the aberration everyone else now is a vampire so he if he if his blood gets in the vampires he's gonna turn them back into humans or so he thinks so the thing is is when you're in a world full of vampires you're the human and you're staking everybody at night and you're trying, you're trying to get people in your gang. You know what I mean? Like you've totally become the monster. And I think that like the first time I think I might've watched, I didn't catch it quite as much. And I saw, and I I remember thinking, Oh yeah. You know, he poor, poor thing. Like he was the only guy that was immune. He could have saved the whole world, but then you turn it around and look at it. And then you watch it realizing no, he was the only one destroying the world. It just wasn't the world he was born into. The world had right. changed. Yeah, the world and he was trying. To, yes, and he was trying to to put the world back where it was, and it had moved on without him. And and that <laughs> is is such a universal type of thing as well. You know, I mean, like we always tease. You know, like me and you, we're getting older. We yeah. shake our canes, we wave our canes at people. I don't understand these damn kids. We understand when we heard it, you know, like we were going to say, oh, I get it now. Yeah, I I get it because we worked so hard to make things cool in our minds that we think we're leaving something cool for the for the kids. And the kids aren't worried about what you made cool. They got to make something else cool. They got to make something else better. You know what I mean? So you you don't identify with them by, by definition. And so this movie, you are identifying with a villain the entire time. You do not even realize you are. And I think that that's like when you said it it puts the swerve on the viewer. I love that part of it because when he runs into Ruth, you know, I remember when I the first time I don't specifically remember the first time I watched this, but I remember the feeling of it. Yeah, yeah, right. right. Not trusting Ruth when she came along. And of course, you know, because you're in that mindset of price. He doesn't trust her when he brings the garlic out. And she instantly, you know, was re- repelled by it. And she's just like, oh, yeah, well, I- I've always had a weak stomach. It's like, yeah, right. right. Sure you have. You're infected. Yeah. We, we, right. we, we, we know it. Just come out and say it. Quit all the fall to roll and just, like, come out with it. I think that's really the right. one time uh, 
price gets kind of hammy and 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 true yeah. price kind of shows through a little bit. He gets a little gleeful <laughs> when he's like trying to rub the garlic in her face. Yes, he's, he's yeah, enjoying yeah. himself a little bit much in that scene. Yeah, there, there's a yeah. He he definitely goes price a few moments, and for, I'd say like like four fifths of the performance is very subdued for price. But he's definitely has been some price moments. Agreed completely, yeah. and I agree with that sentiment with that scene as well. But the oh, makeup, yeah. the makeup is what sells that sequence. It goes on for about ten minutes when he's got her, Ruth back at his apartment or his little condo, mm-hmm. you know, and and she's, you know, he makes her dinner. She doesn't eat, and he, you know, after the situation with the garlic, and then they're just sharing a cigarette, and then she locks herself in, away in her room. The makeup is slowly getting more subtle. She's getting a little more gaunt, to get and losing a little bit more that 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 glow to her skin and looking more right. a- ashy, you right. know, it's, it's showing like, Oh, that this girl is infected, but like, mm-hmm. you don't get the, that she's setting, you know, that she's setting up everything that's going to happen in that, that final moments of the third act. Right. You know, when she, she realizes, you know, through the air of everything that's happened, that he does have a cure and that maybe she does, you know, quote unquote want to be human again maybe not you know we never quite get that moment but when she warns him like they're coming to get you and he Mm -hmm. doesn't care he doesn't he doesn't give two shits that they're coming for him you know he's prepared he's been killing them forever but like when they do storm his little condo compound and then they go on that long foot chase where uh you know the i call it the goon squad kind of shows up with machine guns to take him out yeah, yeah, they organized. Yeah, they organized and stuff. All this stuff was happening under his nose. Yeah, and under your nose while you're watching this film. You don't right, know that. Right. I mean, you don't That's... know anything at all, and you're just as surprised as he It's like, wait, who are those guys? Like, what? Yeah, what? like, where the hell would these motherfuckers come from? Yeah, where the where... vampire soldiers come from? What is this thing going on here, you know? And then. That's where the subtlety of this movie works better than Omega Man, because Omega Man beats you over the head with that aspect right. of it. Yes, agreed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but when they get to the end, the saddest point—I don't know if you'll agree with me on this—but the saddest point is not really even the moment where he's, he, you know, we're we're ruining everything here, folks. So you know, spoilers, major spoilers ahead. When Price as Morgan dies at the end, and he's pretty much crying, he's like, you know, they were afraid of me, saying it over and over again. And as Ruth is walking away in the church, the baby starts crying. Mm-hmm. And then as the camera pulls back, you see, oh, there's not just adults here. There's children. There's like preteens right. and stuff here. And then the one vampire is holding a baby that is crying and she kind of comforts it. And it's like, you know, I can't remember what the exact line of dialogue was, but she's like, you don't have to be afraid anymore. You know, the bad man's dead, something to that effect. Right. It's like they were legit afraid of him. He he was the bane of the existence. He was, in, in essence, he was the monster. Right. And that's right. just a huge revelation. It it leaves you with a gut punch at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The only part, the only part, and then and this acted acted so well. But I will have to say this: the only part where I, I knock off one small point on this movie is the actress who played Price's daughter is very mm-hmm. bad. I don't know if that's part of the voiceover not yeah, quite probably. matching. But yeah, when she's probably. like, "Mommy, yeah. I can't see you. I can't see you," and then she looks right at her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I can't see you, mommy. Where are you? And then she looks at her like, "Yo, you're right here." <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that there's 
look, it's it's not none of these movies that we love are even close to perfect. You know, what I mean, that's oh, that's no. for sure. I mean, and that there's there's a lot, especially look. I mean, still dealing with an Italian film here, you know, and and they were more about the art than they were about the linearity of anything, you know, or anything else, you know. So now this is a little older, of course, you know. So it's it's mimicking Hollywood a little bit in a more <laughs> it's mimicking Hollywood a little bit more in a straight, legit way. And it's some of the later Italian movies that were ripping off, <laughs> you know, the American films that they didn't, you know, the Italians went wrong when they tried to rip off American big budget films. Like when the Italians <laughs> would try to rip off alien, I'm sorry, man. Those are the comedy movies or the, or the know, road I mean, warrior or escape from New York. Yes, absolutely. Those were the funny ones. That's when it was like, Oh boy, you know, it's tough. You know, this this is a it, it, like sort of like what we're saying. You know, you, you kind of don't realize unless you're a pretty astute person, you know, that this isn't an American film. It's it's no. partially American, I know that, but I'm just saying like it's mostly it's if you ask me this is an Italian film. It's just an Italian and, film that has a couple of uh an American actor and a couple American crew in it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I I think that it's just got so many layers and so much depth to it. And you're right. It's not fun. And the thing is, is it not being fun doesn't make you want to watch it a whole lot. At least me. I don't like to watch movies that aren't fun a whole lot. Not that I don't like the movies. I had to collect them. I want to have them. I enjoyed watching this film before doing this discussion. I enjoyed watching it. I really did. Me and Angie sat down and watched it. She'd seen it before. And enjoyed watching it again. You know, you always pick up something a little bit different and knew about it uh, but yeah it but it's nothing up. that i it's not something that i will revisit again like i, I won't watch it again next week next month probably right. not even in the next year but i will definitely no. watch it again that's for right certain. i'll watch the giant claw and the giant from the Un unknown six times before i watch this thing again but this movie is a far superior film by any stretch of the imagination They're, those are just fun movies those yeah. are just fun little silly movies and i like a laugh you know and and so, so there you go. This movie does not make you laugh. No, there's not, never, there's never a laugh out loud moment. There's never anything that makes you just go, "Oh, that was kooky," right? Wacky. And there's <laughs> nothing. Then there's nothing cheesy in it. There's nothing. That's why Price is so subtle. I think I don't think he's finding anything to chew. He's not finding anything to springboard, except when he has a moment to rub some garlic in a woman's face. Then he's got a moment to be a little. <laughs> you know, over the toppy, a, a little extra. Were. Yeah, yeah, a little, a little, a little bit of that old Vincent Price. He knew he was going to come out just for a second, at least, you know. But um, yeah, so I think this is a genre-defining and genre. It, it's a seminal film. I mean, what was before this? That what was before this that was like it versus what was after this that was like it. You know, exactly. and of course, we're going to credit Richard Matheson for writing the book, the story. And apparently, again, not being a reader, not having any. I have no expert on books or anything, but I, I did read that it was an instant hit. It was a big book. It was a big success. So you knew it was going to be made into a movie. It's eventually, and as you said, you know, I think Hammer had the rights to it, and then it was bought up and got made into this. So it was going to be a film eventually. But really, when you stop and think about films and movies, you know, you kind of put put it into those terms. What was like it before this? What was like it after? 
Yeah. And there there was nothing like this out before, at least not that I can recall. (laughs) No, I mean, the closest thing you can think of is like, you know, Westerns where it was the old cowboys and Indians and you were stuck in a fort. And Indians are coming, you know, just like Assault on Precinct 13 is, you know, what Rio Bravo, you know, or something like that. But yeah, this is direct. This is not a metaphor. This is direct. I mean, this is like what were creatures, a post apocalyptic attacking either a survivor or a small band before and then after. So, um, yeah, I mean, and that right there is a credit to this film. And I think it, it, I brought up Night Night Living Dead earlier when we were talking about it. And and I don't want to upset the apple cart here. I don't want to, don't get me wrong. I don't discount that film. And oh, go ahead. It's important. The apple cart. But what I'm saying is that <laughs> when people look at Night Living Dead, you need to say it's a ripoff of Last Man on Earth. And Romero would tell you pretty much the same thing, although he said Richard Matheson, but I'm sorry. You can't watch that movie and watch Night Living Dead and think that Romero didn't see it and get influenced somehow by it. I mean, I think all artists are influenced by. Oh, I agree. Oh, absolutely agree. We're the ones that get snotty about it. You know, that's (laughs) the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So so I'm just saying, like, if you're going to be snotty, you're going to have to bring this one up, though, before you bring up Night Living Dead. I guess that's my point. Because we're we're, we're snotty about this stuff. I mean, all of us are to a certain extent. Yeah, if you're um, if you're a, a connoisseur like we are, because I think we're well past the point of just being the average fan, mm-hmm. you know. So if you're going to be a connoisseur. You got to be a little bit snobby about some stuff, I guess. You're just going to uh, be whether you got to be or not. You're going to be anyway because you you just know more than the average person about the subject you love. Yeah, you so just, you've just you seen kinda, more. You you know, yeah. and you've experienced more. Yes, you have to bite your tongue when you hear someone call Boris Karloff Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. You have to bite your tongue when you see that, you know? I mean, there, you, what, what really bothers me is when we, we, like on social media, when you go to a horror page, you know, a horror site, and you have people doing that, that you think should know better. And, and, and it, 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 it concerns me. You know, it bothers me. It does bother me. <laughs> right, right. And so, yeah, exactly. So there's there's a lot of... Yeah, there, there's a lot of that going on, but but to me, um, yeah, I mean, you got you got you have to credit this. I mean, and I'm going to credit Richard Matheson, but in the movie world, you have to credit this film. Exactly, you have to. I, I mean, tell, give me the movie before it, and then I will say, okay, fine, there it is, and it may be just something I'm forgetting about because it's probably not something I haven't seen. But I don't, I cannot think of anything. I mean. I'm sure there might be something, but I'm not well, thinking. I can't think of it myself. And if somebody wants, hey, you know, for the folks listening at home, please email us, or message message us, and, and let us know if we're missing something. Because I would, I would, I'll, I'll concede if if we're if I'm wrong. Right, right. Now, now, let's get this straight here. No, we're talking about horror and stuff. I'm not talking about War of the Worlds. You know, I'm not talking right. about that. I'm not talking about aliens. And I'm not talking about this. Is a if you think about this, this is a real world thing. You know, we have just, we are hopefully are starting to squeak our way out of a pandemic right now. You know, so, so what I'm saying though, is that this is a real world thing. This isn't aliens. This isn't this, not, uh, you know, I'm just saying though, that as far as this story, 
the post-apocalyptic shit's happened stuck and he's trying to deal with it i don't know you know i mean i mean i, I guess a couple b sci-fi movies where they didn't have the the budget um i know there was that what was the uh the corman movie like i think it's called end of the world But that being said, uh, you want to sum this sucker up here in a minute? You want to give mm -hmm. our final uh, thought and ratings? You know how we do mm -hmm. things around here. We do uh, the, the final notes and the rating on a scale from 1 to 10. Um, I would say, or I don't know, I think I'd probably give this an 8, I'd say. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's important whether or not people know it is or not. And... So therefore, it's important to let people know it is important <laughs> in in you know the history of cinema and storytelling. You know, in in general, um, that's my opinion. You know, I mean, I really think that again for a long time, I think it was sorely forgotten. And I'm pleased to, and, and I know you said you feel the same thing. It's generated steam. It's become a cult classic, thanks to the overabundance. <laughs> <laughs> of I think zombie I apocalypse yeah zombie apocalypse stories people started digging this one up uh to join the party and i'm glad that they did so if nothing else to me the oversaturation of the zombie apocalypse thing the fact that last man on earth has become a well a better known film because of that wave then that's one of the positive the positive benefits of that oversaturation is that we're reminded about a a classic uh, film that had at one time been sorely underlooked at one time and now we have it back and on Blu-ray and on streaming and colorized and everything else and it would not have happened without, without that oversaturation probably but regardless it did and we have it and it's OG it's original. So it's I, the first adaptation of Richard Matheson's story. I'd have to agree with you on every level there. Um, I'm coming in slightly higher than you. I'm, I, you know me, I always like to give movies a 0. 0.5. <laughs> but uh, I'm giving it an eight and a half. You know, I mean, there might be a, a, a few things that are a bit wonky in it. But like you said earlier, there's no movie that is perfect. And there's the illusion of perfection. But really, other than... Uh, be quite honest uh john carpenter's the thing i can't think of a movie that i consider absolutely perfect even if i give it a 10 there's something that i find wonky you know it, it hits all the right notes it, it, it's you know probably a little bleak for most people that's i that would say yeah, that's the thing that probably, like, that's the only thing that is really pulling away from it for me, pretty much. Yep. Yeah, that but point, the bleakness. I, I like, I like bleak. I like dark. I like things that mm -hmm. are, that, you know, the right or wrong, you know, good or bad. I, I like things that fall into a nice gray area because I feel like that's more in tune and true with re real life. I like things that are a little bleak because, you know, like people like to think things in a movie, is, especially even, a, 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 you know, uh, you know, uh, in less happy-go-lucky movies like horror movies and that kind of a genre, they still like to tie things up with a nice bow at the end and with a nice ribbon. This movie has no nice bow. There's no mm -hmm. ribbon. It's mm -hmm. not tied up at the end. At the end, you're left with 
the, the you know a dying man going I was the last man on and he doesn't even get to finish his sentence mm-hmm. you know it's uh, it's bleak like I said again maybe a little bleak for for most people but I uh, I think for a diehard fan I've been surprised you would like it if you're a fan of uh, any of the subsequent sci-fi horror spinoffs of this you know Omega Man I am Legend I implore you please watch this movie I I, I would think you'll gain a finer appreciation for the source material if you did and they'll gain a finer appreciation for Vincent Price because again as we've already iterated a few times it's one of his most understated performances the movie itself is an eight out of ten eight and a half out of ten but Vincent Price is ten out of ten here mm-hmm. I, I find absolutely no flaw with his performance whatsoever it's it he's an absolute dream to watch in this movie but yep. I, I think we picked a, a weird one to cover first. Uh, not so much of a happy-go-lucky or a, a fun kind of movie, but we're you know, we're not starting off with a bang, kind of with a whimper a little bit. <laughs> I always pull <laughs> out a the whimper of humanity. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. When you ask me, like, hey, would you, you know, give me a choice or like say, like, I, I, I always immediately know, and it just is what it is. You said Vincent Price, and people think of this. I. I honestly, the first thing I think of when I think of Vincent Price, this is honest, is Last Man on Earth. That's See honestly me? like, yep, that's honestly like what I think of the first movie that comes to my mind when you say that. I don't know why, but it is. So it's probably my favorite Vincent Price movie. See, mine, uh, it's weird. When I think of Vincent Price, the first thing I think of is not even this movie, although this is definitely a top, like, three to five movies for me if i had to write them down in order it'd probably be probably number three number four but what i think of first and foremost is house on haunted hill mm-hmm. i think that is classic price but mm-hmm. now if i have to pick favorite price and this might be ruining things for people as they're listening to vincent price appreciation month but my favorite is madhouse mm-hmm. i love madhouse not mm-hmm. just for price but i mean for Peter Cushing, Robert mm-hmm. Corey, it was the last of his AIP pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I look forward to seeing Price in just about anything, you know. Right, right. Well, I shouldn't yeah. say just about. I was, I, if I know Price is in it, I, I, I look forward to it regardless. Yeah, and he had so much fun. In, I mean, I know we're we're really like propping him up, and I'm I'm talking about the movies in the '40s and stuff, and people need to see. Well, that's because most of us have seen when he was having fun in the '70s. Yeah. <laughs> he was having fun. I mean, once he got through those Roger Corman, which are very good films, you know, the, the Roger Corman Poe adaptation, he got in the 70s where he started doing, like, the fives and the Madhouse. And, and he was having straight-up fun. Grand Guignol, baby. Grand Guignol. He just went, he just laid, he just, he beat the scenery. He didn't just chew it. He beat it, he punched it, he kicked it. You know, I mean, it was I'm just sure like... the art directors hated him because they had their constantly probably repair shit around him, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, no yeah, exactly, you know, but... I like to go and see other people's work, where they came from. So if you actually see this, you're not only seeing, like, where the Richard Matheson story, like you said, the source material came from, you're kind of seeing a, a bit of a different Vincent Price. And if you appreciate that Vincent Price, then go back and watch, like, his older gothic stuff and, and things like that and the film noir things that are very very good that he did uh, mm. a few period movies too that he did he was very good in by the way um you know so yeah it's definitely i mean keep going backwards with price don't stop go back before the horror stuff and check out because you see 
these are just as dark as stories, if not darker, uh, and macabre. And some of these are just real dark and real good and real creepy. And Price is doing, he's, he's different. When he was younger, he was different. And it's interesting to go back and see that. So I, I, I implore people just to give it a shot sometime. If not, watch Laura or Dragon Wick or something like that, you know, and, and give it a shot. Well, that being said, before we put a pen in this, uh, do you have anything coming up that you want to plug? Any new shows coming up or little things you got going on? No, just doing, um, just still doing this, the Synapse Films podcast. And uh, I think you are going to be a guest on that. I can probably announce that because we're going to be talking about the Demons and Demons 2 4K yes. and Blu-ray releases that Synapse just put out. And I know those are some of your favorite films. So oh, I invited well, two you Two of my on. favorite films of all time. Right. So I invited you on to come on and talk about those releases. And uh, nah, now, that, uh, we, now this time you can, you can worry about the editing and post-production process. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So we'll, we'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll steamroll my way through it. I'll work hard on it. And uh, it'll be fun, though. It'll be fun. Those are fun movies to talk about, too. Who didn't haunt the video store shelves back in the 80s and didn't just have to grab all those Italian films? Because why? Well, you didn't know they were Italian before you grabbed them. <laughs> and then you took them home, you heard the dubbing, and you're like, oh, man, this is one of those goofy foreign European movies, you know? And then you'd sit there and start watching them, and they're a ball, they're a lot of fun. And that's something <laughs> that's something that, that these older Italian films, like Last Man on Earth, though, they were darker. They weren't as fun. They were more serious. And so that's an interesting subgenre to go back and watch, because people say Italian horror... They don't think as much about the Baba stuff and things before the 60s. You know, they don't think about that. And it's there. It is there. And, and it's, it's also something to go back and maybe discover or rediscover. No hope. <laughs> they, yep. they didn't believe in hope back then. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. I think we're getting back to that, too. What <laughs> uh, goes around comes around, right? Absolutely. A absolutely. But anyway, good movie, though. The Last Band Earth, it was it was a pleasure to talk about. Yes, it was. It was, it was a good stepping off point for us. An unusual stepping off point, mm -hmm. but, you know, a good one. And I, before we sign off, I want to thank you for taking a couple hours, because I know... You know, it takes about a whole afternoon when we get on the phone because we'll usually either before or after po post or pre-show end up talking for a couple hours mm -hmm. and then talk on the air for a couple hours. So I know it takes a lot of time uh, out of your out of your schedule. So I always appreciate it. It's always I have as much fun talking off the air as I do on the air with you. So, oh, sure. Yeah, sure. I appreciate it. It's an honor. I appreciate it myself. So thank you. And thanks to your listeners for listening. Yes. Well, folks, you have been listening to Cinema Gen Degenerations. First episode of Vincent Price Appreciation Month, and we have been reviewing and dissecting Last Man on Earth. They're perfect. Just wide enough to keep the flesh apart so their body seal can't function. And how many more of these will I have to make before they're all destroyed? They want my blood if their lives are mine. And I still get squeamish. <laughs>